Uh, Today we've reached the final week of our epic Great God, Great Stories series, and uh, we're ending the series by looking at a great story in 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. If you want to go ahead and turn there, I think it'll be on the screen behind me as well. It is the story of a man named Naaman, who was a military commander in the Syrian army, who had leprosy. And it's the story of Elisha, the prophet of God, to whom Naaman went for help. But it's not just a story of Naaman and Elisha. It's also a story about an unnamed servant girl who made a big difference through one small yet courageous act. And from her, we're going to learn valuable lessons about making a difference in the world, making a difference in the lives of people around us. And so I want to begin by going directly to the text and reading the story So again, 2 Kings 5, 1 through 14, uh, here's what it says. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram, that's just Syria. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel And she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who's in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel said. By all means go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter he took to the king of Israel read, with this letter, I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. Well, thank you very much. I was just sitting here waiting to cure someone of leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel tore his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him to say, go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy? Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Not just a little angry, he went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, my father If the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? 
How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So Naaman went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. What a great story. Let's consider the major players in the story. Some of the things that we find out about them and some of the things that we learn from them. Let's first consider Elisha, who's referred to in the text as the man of God and the prophet of God. A couple things that stand out about Elisha is that he was unafraid and he was uncompromising. This is in contrast to the king of Israel, a man named Joram. Uh, He's also known in the scripture as Jehoram. One of the interesting things about Joram's response to the letter of the uh, king of Aram is, uh, well, this is an interesting thing in the story, the way that he responded. You see, the letter didn't specify anything about Elisha. Uh, uh, Joram doesn't happen to think of Elisha. Instead, he assumes that the Syrian king is telling him to heal Naaman. And he knows that he can't heal Naaman. And so Joram is so distraught over this letter asking for a healing that he cannot deliver that he tears his clothes. He he thinks that the Syrian king is demanding something that is impossible for him to do for the purpose of using his failure as an excuse to attack Israel. It's a fascinating response to the letter. And so he, he, he tears his clothes. He's, he's overcome with fear. Here's something you need to know about Joram. Joram was an, an idolatrous king. There was no power in the palace of Israel at this time in history because the palace was full of idolaters. Joram had no chance of healing Naaman. And so Joram is overcome with fear. But not Elisha. Elisha is unafraid. He's unafraid because unlike Joram, Elisha is a man of God. And so when he hears of Naaman's need and when he reads the Syrian king's request, he sends word to Joram to have Naaman sent to him. So Naaman, we're told, takes his horses, takes his chariots, and he goes to Elisha's house. Now, it's helpful to remember here that Naaman is an important man. He he is a high-ranking Syrian commander, and he approaches Elisha's house in a way that demonstrates that he's an important man. Horses and chariots, the trappings of an important military leader. And we see once again that Elisha is unafraid. Because while most people would respond to a great military leader of an enemy nation showing up at your front door insisting on an audience with you by saying, I better get myself out there and greet him, Elisha does something very different. Elisha cannot even be bothered to go to the door and greet Naaman. Instead, Elisha sends a messenger to tell Naaman what to do in order to be healed of his leprosy. Elisha 
was unafraid. We see it both in his invitation for Naaman to be sent to him, and we see it in his dealing with Naaman once Naaman arrives. He was unafraid. We also see in the story that he was uncompromising. He gave Naaman through the messenger a very specific message for healing. Go wash yourself in the Jordan River seven times. And we know from the text that this made Naaman very angry. We're told that he became enraged. You see, he was expecting something much more respectful of his position. He, he, he had dreamed of how this would go. And what he saw in his mind's eye is that Elisha would come out and Elisha would personally greet him and Elisha would personally call on the name of the Lord and Elisha would personally wave his hand over his leprosy and he would be healed. And of course, that's not how it went. If he had to do something like wash in a river, then he had imagined that Elisha would recognize that Syria's waters were better than Israel's waters and let him go wash in Syrian waters. Now, the text doesn't tell us this, but I think it's a fair guess. I'm almost certain that, that Naaman's reaction was relayed to Elisha. The, the servant probably went back, the messenger went back and said, hey, uh, Elisha, that like fearsome military commander out at the door is very unhappy by what you've said. He is raging over what you have said. Elisha, um, could you maybe consider a different message? Could, could you maybe come up with something else that he would feel better about in order to get healed? And the answer was no. The message never changed. If Naaman wanted healed, he was going to need to wash in the Jordan seven times. Elisha was uncompromising. He was unafraid. He was uncompromising. And Elisha was also a man who extended grace to an enemy. As commander in the Syrian army, Naaman was an enemy of Israel. He was a stranger to the promises of God. As a leper, his situation was considered helpless and hopeless. And while Elisha, and by the way, if I say Elijah, you'll, you'll know I meant Elisha. I, I've about had Elijah come out multiple times, so just know. While Elisha was uncompromising in his message, he acted very graciously toward Naaman, an enemy of Israel. May all of us who call Christ Savior and Lord be able to have these same things said of us that we see of Naaman, I'm sorry, of uh, Elisha in this story. May we be people who are unafraid. May we be people who are uncompromising. And may we be people who extend grace even to those who are our enemies. Those would actually be good things to include in your prayers this week. We, I would like to encourage us to pray these things 
uh, for ourselves this week. God, help me to be a person that's unafraid. When, when there is some challenge that comes to me that's in the area of my faith, help me to be unafraid. God, when there is uh, some message that, 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 that I need to uphold, so, some message of, uh, of salvation through faith in Christ alone, God, when, when someone tries to get me to compromise that message, help me to be uncompromising. And God, when there's somebody in my life that's really difficult to show grace to, somebody that's really difficult to love and be kind toward, God, help me to be the person who's willing to extend grace even to an enemy. That's Elisha. Now let's consider a few things about Naaman. We've already learned that he was a great military commander. We've already learned that he had leprosy. But Naaman was actually afflicted by two diseases. He was afflicted by leprosy, and he was afflicted by pride. And we see in the text that the disease of pride almost left him permanently with the disease of leprosy. As already noted, Naaman expected a welcome from Elisha that fitted his status as a great military commander. He was offended that Elisha didn't come out to see him, even though uh, Elisha told him how to get healed. He was offended that if he needed to wash in a river, it couldn't be a Syrian river. The disease of pride almost left him permanently stuck with the disease of leprosy. Friends, pride is a horrible, horrible thing. God hates pride. You know, God's created order, like it all went bad due to pride. Lucifer was filled with pride, said, I will ascend and be like the most high. And so whenever God sees pride, he he, he knows what the source of that is. He, he, he's reminded of that initial rebellion. It's a horrible thing. God hates pride. The only group of people that I know of in Scripture that we're told God actively resists are the proud. God resists the proud. It doesn't say God's indifferent to the proud. It doesn't say God is, you know, annoyed by the proud. It says that God resists. Like, that's an active thing. God resists the proud. It's pride that keeps us from receiving healing for the sickness, the disease called sin. It's pride that convinces people that they don't need the salvation that God offers through Jesus Christ. It's pride that keeps us from admitting that we are not okay the way that we are and that we need help from outside of ourselves. It's pride that causes someone who hasn't spent 10 minutes studying the Bible to dismiss it as being full of errors. It's pride. Pride keeps us from Jesus. Keeps us from finding healing for the disease of sin. And so one of my appeals today is that we would not be like Naaman. If you know that you have a problem, you're, 
you know that you're not okay the way you are, you recognize that your life is broken. Jesus can heal you. Jesus is your answer. Don't let Naaman's initial reaction be your reaction. Don't let pride keep you from the answer to your problem. Thankfully for Naaman, he had some really faithful servants. He had some really caring servants who wisely and at some risk to themselves appealed to him to not let pride keep him from healing. Here's how they reasoned with him. They said, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? Naaman, if the prophet had told you to climb some great mountain and you'd get healed, you probably would have done it. If he had told you to go out and defeat some enemy of Syria, you probably would have done it. If he would have told you all these great things to do, you would have gladly complied. Why in the world, when the message is so simple, wash and be cleansed, would you not do that? Now understand, Naaman, their master is enraged. So they did this at some risk to themselves. Thank God for people who care enough about us to not just accept it when we're making really bad decisions. Thank God for people like that. Thank God for people who care for us enough to reason with us and tactfully help us see the error of our ways. And these are the kind of people we need to be. We need to have these kind of people in our lives and we need to be this kind of person for others. One of the greatest travesties I know of is what I view as a near epidemic of Christian people leaving other folks in horrible and sin-sick situations unchallenged because they've bought the lie that the only way to affirm someone, the only way to love someone, I should say, is to affirm however that person is feeling. Our feelings lie to us, folks. Our feelings tell us things that are not true. If we buy the lie that We have to affirm everything everybody feels. We're actually doing a disservice to them. But I just need you to respect how I feel. But how you feel is wrong. I mean, thank God that Naaman's servants did not affirm his feeling about what Elisha had said. Thank God they didn't affirm that. Naaman, you're absolutely right. That was just that was just deplorable that Elisha told you to go wash in the river. I, I'm as mad as you are about it. I, I cannot believe that he did that. That's like the normal Christian response. I must share in their anger about how they feel because feelings are absolute. Feelings are liars. 
And I can tell you fully support what I'm saying. Thank God that Naaman's servants did not affirm his feeling, but instead graciously, lovingly, tactfully challenged him. And Naaman responded well to their challenge. But here's a true thing. They did the right thing even if he did not respond well to the challenge. Even if the story did not end the way that it does, they did the right thing. Here's another malady that plagues Christian people. If I do the right thing and someone doesn't respond the right way to it, it becomes a wrong thing. No, it does not. It does not. The right thing does not always result in the outcome that it should because people's hearts are deceptively wicked and they don't always respond the way that they should. It doesn't mean that the challenge wasn't the right thing. The tendency in Christians toward telling everyone how wonderful they are when in reality their lives are a wreck in large part because of prideful rejection of God's rule of their lives is not a good thing. We need people to lovingly challenge us and we need to be people who lovingly challenge our brothers and sisters. Listen to this part. Not over debatable things, but over things that are very clear. It was very clear that Naaman was letting pride prevent him from receiving healing. And so those who cared about him challenged him. And thankfully, the story ends the way it does. Naaman received the challenge. He did humble himself. He obeyed the directions that Elisha gave. He went to the Jordan. He washed seven times. And the Bible tells us that his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. He was healed. You know, this might be an example of one of those healings that almost goes like too far. I mean, you've heard of the healings where the person's leg is growing and and like then it grows too long and the person says, oh, stop, Lord, stop. We were praying for the leg to be healed. We're praying for the leg to grow. Now it's too long. Stop, Lord. Anybody ever heard that? Am I the only one that's ever heard that joke? Oh, come on. So the joke is, person has one leg that's shorter than another The person's praying for it to be healed and it gets healed too much and now it becomes the other leg is too short. And so so the person, as they see this happening, they start saying, stop, Lord, stop. That's enough healing of the leg. It's a joke. I know God, you know. But I think this might be one of those instances. You know, Naaman is like this grizzled warrior. And now he has flesh like a young boy. (laughs) He has this soft skin. It's like, God, I can't go into battle with this skin. All the other armies are going to laugh at me. Could you rough this up? No leprosy, but rough it up a little bit. That took a lot of explanation for that joke. Okay. Why was he healed? 
because he chose to be obedient to the word of God that was told to him by the man of God. Naaman's an illustration of grace. He's an enemy of Israel. He's a man with a disease that leaves people helpless and hopeless. He is a man outside of the covenant of God with no right to the promises and blessings of God. And yet he is healed by God because he finally humbled himself and became obedient to God's word. Scripture tells us that our sin puts us in the position of being enemies of God. He's not our enemy, but we have aligned ourselves as his enemy. Scripture tells us very clearly that apart from Christ, sin is a helpless and hopeless condition. Also like Naaman, none of us have any right to forgiveness and salvation and eternal life. But in grace, God saves us, he heals us, he restores us to himself. And he does it as we respond in obedience to the invitation to be healed. As we respond to the message of repentance and faith in Christ, he does it as we respond in obedience to the word of God. So we have a great military leader in this story. His name's well known by anyone with modest familiarity with scripture. We, we have a man of God whose name is well known by anyone with even slight uh, familiarity with scripture. We have this man that's tempted by pride who, who finally humbles himself. And we have a miraculous healing. It's a great story. It's an epic story. But it is a story that would never have happened without the action of an unnamed difference maker. Verse 2. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. We know Naaman's name, we know Elisha's name, we do not know this servant girl's name, and yet this great story does not happen without her. Her one small act made all the difference. It was a small act. It was a courageous act. And I want you to realize some things about this servant girl who, who took this action. I want you to realize that she acted even though she was in a very lowly position. Think of the things that are stacked against her. She is a slave. You can't get in any lower social standing than that. She's a slave. She's an outsider. She's a Jew living in Syria. She was young. She was a female in a male-dominated culture. She had no power, no position, no possessions. Why would anyone listen to her? Low position, no worldly advantages, but here's what was true of her. She was full of faith. She was full of faith. She was so full of faith that she did not let her lowly position stop her from making a difference. Realize also that she acted even though what she could do, the contribution that she could make seemed really small. She could not heal Naaman. 
No doubt he had seen the best healers in all of Syria. No one had been able to help him. She couldn't help him. She couldn't heal him. She couldn't lessen his pain. All she was able to do was make a suggestion to her mistress. That's all she could do. It seems so insignificant. Make a suggestion. But this slave girl didn't let the seeming insignificance of that act stop her. Instead of being discouraged by what she could not do, she did what she could do. And I want you to realize that she acted even though the stakes were very high. If Naaman had gone to Israel and he had returned to Syria still sick, feeling foolish for having listened to the suggestion of a servant girl, she likely would have been punished. And even though the Syrian king's intentions were not to stir up trouble with Israel, we don't know that if Naaman had returned unhealed, that possibly it could have resulted in conflict between Israel and Syria. The stakes for acting were high, but this unnamed servant girl acted anyway. She didn't let high stakes cause her to shrink back from doing what she could do. We learned some really good lessons from this servant girl, from this unnamed difference maker. Here are a few of them. If you want to make a difference, be confident. Be confident. Naaman's wife and Naaman himself listened to this servant girl, I have no doubt, because she spoke with confident passion. There is no equivocation in her statement. She is clear. She is bold. If only my master would see the prophet in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. She really believed it. And because she did, she was confident of what she was saying. Friends, we have a great God. He is all-powerful. He really can and does change people's lives. And so if you want to be a difference maker, if you want to see things change, if you, if you want to influence positive change in the world, be confident in the God you serve. Be confident in his word. Be like this girl who says, if you could just meet Jesus, he could provide everything that you need. Have you ever had someone try to convince you that some product they were marketing would change your life? And maybe it was a great product, but the, the person telling you about it did not seem convinced of it themselves. Have you ever seen that? A great product can be ruined by a representative who is either unconvinced or too timid to be convincing about their product. Can also be ruined by a representative who actually has failed to experience the benefits of their product themselves. Um, this is not in my notes, so it probably won't go well, but uh, one time... <laughs> 
One time, Michelle and I were invited out to lunch uh, by someone who had a business opportunity for us. We were probably about 20 years old at the time, just married. And uh, he had this great opportunity that was going to make us wealthy beyond our wildest dreams. And so we went to Chi Chi's with him. <laughs> and um, he, he ordered a 99-cent salsa, got the free chips, and then asked for some hot water that he was going to place his own tea bag that he brought with him to, to make his drink and avoid paying the store, uh, the restaurant, for, for a drink. And so this man who was telling us about the riches that could be had with this opportunity figured out a way to spend a grand total of 99 cents at Chi-Chi's. I'm sorry, maybe he's just frugal, but it came off as incapable, and I did not believe that he had the answer to wealth for me. <laughs> An unconvincing salesperson can really ruin a good product. Someone who hasn't experienced the benefits in a way that is credible can ruin a product. As believers, we don't just represent a, a product like an iPhone or the latest Microsoft software that you know, holds the potential to add some small value to our lives. We represent Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, the only answer for sin and death, the only way to eternal life. Jesus deserves for us to be confident in him. Amen. And so if we want to make a difference, like this servant girl was confident of God's working through Elisha, we need to be confident in God and his working through his spirit and even his working through us. The second thing, if you want to make a difference, be credible, be credible. There's no way this girl would have had the courage to speak to Naaman's wife about a suggestion of how Naaman could be healed if she did not feel like she had earned some credibility with Naaman's wife. If she had been a lazy servant, if she had been a servant who didn't take care of her responsibilities well, if she was a servant always getting in trouble, a servant always fighting against her situation, a servant always complaining about her circumstances, Naaman's wife and Naaman himself would likely have never paid any attention to her suggestion. It's very likely that Naaman and his wife had watched this servant girl's life and they were impressed enough by what they saw that when she spoke, they were willing to listen. People pay more attention to how we live than what we say. That doesn't mean what we say is not important. It's very important. But it does mean that how we live can undermine what we say and destroy our credibility. When we talk about the joy of the Lord, God gives us joy. And everybody around us can tell that we are the most miserable person they have ever encountered. 
we undermine the credibility of what we say about Jesus. When we say that Jesus has set us free from sin, but we talk about our past life of sin as though it was the high point of our life, the fondest memories that I've ever had have been when I was sinning. We undermine our credibility. When we say Jesus wants us to and empowers us to love everybody, but our actions toward almost everyone are unloving, we undermine our credibility. When we are known as the complainer at work, when we are known to do shoddy work in our business, when we're the EGR person in our organization, everybody knows EGR, right? Extra grace required. When we are the extra grace required person, we undermine our credibility. If we want to make a difference, we have to be credible. Here's the third thing. If you want to make a difference, care about other people's needs. One of the most fascinating things about this whole thing to me, one of the most commendable things about this servant girl is that she was a servant girl. And yet she cared about her master. She was a captive. She was a slave in a foreign land. She is not serving Naaman of her own choosing. She's held against her will. She's surrounded by the enemies of Israel. And yet, as a slave, held against her will, the possession of someone against her will, she finds a way to care about Naaman's well-being. It's amazing. That is God. Only God can do that. Only God can make us caring and loving toward people who are mistreating us. Even as a captive, she cared about her master's well-being. She cared about the needs of a man who owned her against her will. If you want to make a difference, you have to care about and speak to people's needs. And here's the final lesson I want to highlight from the story of this unnamed difference maker. All of these lessons are important. If I could have only shared one, which I probably should have only shared one, according to the clock, this would be the one that I would share. If you want to make a difference, do small things. If you want to make a difference, do small things. This unnamed girl did one thing. She made a suggestion. She didn't heal anybody. She didn't get to personally witness the healing. As far as we know, Elisha didn't send a letter thanking her for sending Naaman to him. We don't know that Elisha even knew anything about this girl's existence. She did one small thing. She made a suggestion. That's all she could do. But without her small act, none of the rest of the story happens. Naaman doesn't travel to Israel. Elisha doesn't have uh, someone standing at his door that needs healing. Naaman doesn't 
have to lay aside his pride. Naaman doesn't get healed. Naaman doesn't glorify the God of Elisha. And we don't have a story that for thousands of years has inspired faith in the hearts of followers of God. None of it happens without her one small act. And so if you want to make a difference, do small things. Serving on the welcome team. Standing at the front door, greeting people as they come in. Standing inside the building. Standing at the entryway to the auditorium. In in a sense, that's a pretty small thing. And yet... A high percentage of people who have connected to this church over the years have cited the friendliness of someone they encountered in their first few minutes in the building as one of the main reasons that they came back and eventually made this their church home. Some of those people who have that story were not saved at the time that a warm greeting helped to draw them in. It was a small act, but they may never have come to faith in Christ without that small act. Taking a turn, staffing the street fair booth, which been appealed to you about earlier today. You, you know, really in the grand scheme of things, uh, like I don't mean to minimize the, the service you're gonna provide as you all flock to the information center to sign up today, but, but in the grand scheme of things, two hours at the street fair booth is a pretty small thing. But you know, there might be one conversation that happens in that two-hour window that God uses to help bring someone to himself and change their lives forever. And you may never, never even know about it. You may never know about it. Because they'll probably end up going to another church. We'll never see them. But God will, have, God will have used your action to help change their life. <laughs> that person that asks you to pray for them. That, that person that opens up to you about their life. When you in turn choose to be honest about your own stuff and you say, you know what? I went through a similar thing and here's what I found to be helpful. That simple suggestion might be used by God to change that person's life forever. Too many of us spend our lives waiting for the big moment when God finally gives us that grand thing that we can do. Our Braveheart moment, our our gladiator moment, which neither one are really Christian things, but, but you know, our, our big moments where, where we get to do something really great for God. But here's what I think God is saying to us today. You might get your big moment, but whether you do or whether you don't, all I'm asking of you is that you do what you can. Do what's right in front of you. Seize the small opportunities that I place in front of you. Seize those. Because here's what God wants us to understand today. He can take the smallest act and he can use it to change someone's life. And so if you want to make a difference in the world, do small things. Do what you can where you are for the glory of God.
And so here's a question I want to leave you with today. What small thing is right in front of you that you can do? It's within your power to do this thing. There may be a whole bunch of things you can't do, but there's this small thing you know you can do that just might be able to be used by God to make a difference in someone's life. What is that? And here's my challenge to you. If something just came to your mind, and I think for many of you, the Holy Spirit just implanted something in your mind, some small act that you can take, if, if God did that for you, then my challenge to you is if it is at all possible, do that thing this week. Don't put it off for two weeks. Don't say, I'll get to it a month from now. If it's at all possible, whatever God just brought to your mind, do that thing. Take that small action this week. It's fascinating to me that we don't know this servant girl's name. She wasn't named in the story. But here's what's important. God does know her name. No one else may ever know the small things that you do to make a difference. But God knows. And scripture tells us that the things that we do in secret, God will reward us for those things openly. Make a difference by doing small things. If no one else ever knows, God does. And if no one else ever rewards you, God will. Let's stand. The worship team is going to come and lead us in a couple of closing songs. I do recognize we have gone a little long today, but let's keep it in perspective.